Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is Matthew McLaughlin. The snow has been shoveled. It has. <laughs> Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, Matthew. Um, just before we say anything else, quick reminder, if you appreciate Ordinary Fellowship, like us on iTunes, whatever it, it, the podcast you're listening to, like and rate us there. Uh, make sure you subscribe so that you can get our weekly podcast right away and you don't forget about it. Um, share it with friends if you have a certain episode that you like. Um, at the end, Matthew will give you more information about how to contact us if you have questions and things like that. I want to say it at the beginning because I'm guessing the rest of you are like me, that when the podcast is over, you turn it off and don't listen to that. So if you want to know that information, stay tuned all the way till the end, and Matthew will give you all the contact information you need. So uh, be ready with your pen and paper uh, to write it down. And you can even send us hate mail. We've gotten some comments on our Facebook site, but we've never gotten any hate mail. So now would be a great time to send us some hate mail. And we'll probably read it and respond to it on one of the episodes. So uh, you could be the first one to send us hate mail. Matthew says it's dreaded, but I, I think it would be fun. So. <laughs> so this might be an episode to get some hate mail. Um, Possibly. <laughs> some people don't like the topic we're discussing today. It's true. We're going to look at natural theology. And we're going to be looking at it specifically from the London Baptist Confession of Faith and what it teaches about natural theology. And the reason is, is because, you know, as we are confessional and uh, this is a confession that's embraced and has been embraced throughout history, and it not that it replaces the Bible, but it does show what our forefathers believed, and those who hold to the 1689 today uh, continue to believe about what the Bible teaches about uh, natural theology. So before we delve into the 1689, though, um, I should explain a few things. We need to understand there's a difference between natural revelation and natural theology. Natural revelation is God revealing himself through nature. Matthew read the beginning of Psalm 19 that explains how God reveals himself even in nature. Uh, that's the that's the data. That's the information that we look at. Theology, and, and that comes straight from God. Okay, theology is what we do with the data, and when we try to sort it out and make sense of it. Okay, 
so what we're what we're saying really is when we talk about natural theology is what do we know about God from nature? What can we learn about him from nature rather than in scripture? Not that the two things are in conflict. Uh, scripture and nature teach the same thing about God. This is the reason why there's not a genuine conflict between faith and science because there's not two different truths. It's one truth. Um, anyway, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit trail, but you get the point. So there's natural revelation and natural theology. And all Christians believe in natural revelation or general revelation because it's, as you see in Psalm 19, it's it's described there. The, the debate comes in, can Christians know anything about God from nature, is it possible to have a natural theology? And my argument, uh, and I think the view of the 1689, which also includes the Savoy Declaration and the Westminster Confession, I don't think they're different here. Uh, These confessional documents support the idea that there is a natural theology. Now, one other thing I want to say um, about natural theology, what we're not advocating is natural religion. Natural religion is natural theology minus the supernatural revelation of God given in Scripture. What the 1689 teaches, it encourages us to believe both natural revelation and natural theology, and special revelation and supernatural theology, which is found in the Bible. So we we embrace both of those things. Natural religion just says, no, we, all we need is what nature can teach us about God. That's sufficient. And as you'll see, we we don't believe, neither does the 1689 teach that natural, revela- natural theology or natural revelation is sufficient. So we're not advocating for natural religion at all. <laughs> we're advocating for... Um, so, what we're saying, what we're ultimately arguing is, um, can we? How do we know God, really? And this is how the Baptist Catechism answers that question: How may we know there's a God? It says the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God, but His Word and Spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. That is what we're going to try to expound on and uh, explain today. So we'll just leave the light of nature undefined because that's also a topic of controversy. But the point is God God is revealed, God can be known in some sense short of saving uh, through nature. Any questions so far, Matthew? Nothing so far. Any comments, corrections? No, I would just, I, you'll probably get there. I mean, all you have to do is look at Romans 1, and yeah. then to question, to me, Romans 1, verse 20, kind of sets up natural theology. Right. So let me read that, because I do have it open, and at some point I was planning on reading it, but Romans 19 and 20, actually, I'll read through uh, 23. The Bible says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely 
his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So one of the things natural theology does is it, it condemns men it, so that men are justly condemned for not worshiping God. Um, so let's dig into the uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith. And what all we're going to do is we're going to look at what nature does teach and then we're going to go back and say what nature does not teach us about, about God. So in the first article of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, it says, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men excusable, yet they are not sufficient to, gain, to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. So first, it teaches us that God is good, that he's wise, and, the, and it teaches us that he's powerful. So we just read this passage, uh, our pastor just preached on this uh, this past Sunday, when we're recording this, <laughs> he just preached on Acts chapter 14, where Paul talks about the goodness of God and giving even pagan sinners who worship idols. He took care of them and provided for them all that they need. And he continues to do that even in our day and age. He he cares for his creation. And in that, we see God's goodness, that God is indeed good. We see his wisdom in that the universe is orderly. Uh, and wherever we see order, this comes from a God who is wise. And obviously, the, the vastness of the universe, um, and I, I was talking to my kids uh, when the snowstorm was about ready to hit, how, how amazing it is that we have all this technology that we're able to um, protect ourselves from much of the ravages of nature. But when a snowstorm comes, all we can do is sit and brace for it. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. We just we can get everything ready beforehand. We can get generators or heaters or um, make sure we have salt and shovels ready to go. Um, we can have all that stuff ready, but then all we can do is sit and wait for it. And nature, again and again, shows its power. And God's power is even greater than that because he's the one who, who made it all. We see all of this in nature before we even turn to a page in our Bible we see this. Now, the Bible also affirms these things, obviously, again and again, uh, that God is wise, powerful, and good. Um, but nature also teaches us the exact same thing. Um, and, if, <laughs> and if God is good, wise, and powerful, it also, the assumption there is that there is a good, wise, and powerful God. So it, it demonstrates his existence. There's two ways to know that there's a God. We can know because Scripture tells us there's a God, but we can also know there's a God because nature reveals it. If God is good, wise, and powerful, then he must exist to be those things. 
Um, so we, we see from there, we see even from nature, God's goodness, wisdom, power in his existence. And because of God's power uh, and his providentially ruling over things and keeping everything orderly, we see, also see his sovereignty in that. Already, nature has taught us, with, before we even turn to Scripture, some very important things. Any comments before we go further, Matthew? Well, I mean, it's just, you can even look at when, when anything happens, and that, whether it's fire, flood, hurricane, snowstorm, they're termed acts of God, because ultimately we understand intrinsically that there has to be something more powerful, a supreme being that's causing these things to occur. And we see that outside of scripture, and then and then as we'll talk about later, that scripture then enlightens those things, but it's abundantly clear that there are things we don't understand, and those should lead us to begin to understand about who God is. Right. And it's and I like that you said it's a beginning. Because that's that's what it is. Scripture clarifies and straightens out things that could be messed up because we're sinners, and so and that's Paul describes what happens when we look at nature. We we know that there's God, but then we twist all that knowledge and end up far away from the God that's revealed in nature, worshiping idols and worship creatures rather than the Creator. Um, so. It doesn't go well for us unless the God of grace intervenes right. and brings us further. So nature teaches us these things about God. Now, uh, in section or chapter 22 of the London Baptist Confession, it talks about worship and the Sabbath day. And it says there in the first paragraph, the light of nature shows that there is a God, we've already talked about that, who has... Lordship and sovereignty over all. We, we talked about that. That's, that's what the first uh, paragraph of the London Baptist Confession says. It goes on to say, is just, good, and doth good to all. So now we already talked about his goodness, but we also see here his justice. In other words, God does what's right and fair. Now, we're not going to get into the, you know, these philosophical arguments for God's existence and how exactly he shows these things. There's places you can go to that. If there is justice, in order for there to be true justice, there must be a God who is truly just, wholly just. And so we we see impartial justice done in this world, and we know that the only way that there can be real justice, true justice, perfect justice is that it must have to happen after this world. And so even Immanuel Kant, who is not really someone that Christians look towards, um, realized this, <laughs> that there's there's got to be um, a judgment, a just judgment at after this world is over that rewards those who are righteous and punishes those who are evil. And Really, where did we get our idea from justice for justice at? I mean, is that just an evolutionary idea that popped in their head and the ancestors that believed in justice happened to survive longer than the people who didn't believe in justice? 
Um, I I don't really buy that explanation. Right. So there we everyone has an idea of justice, of of right and wrong, and the London Baptist will address that in a second. Everybody has this idea of right or wrong. Where did that idea come from? It it must be be because there's there is a being who is purely justice or pure justice. Does that make sense, Matthew? It does. Okay. And then the conclusion of that is is the third thing that we're taught. So it, it talks about how the light of nature shows there's a God. It goes on to say, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. So not only does nature show that there's a show us that there's a God who is good, wise, powerful, sovereign over all things, but it also shows us the conclusion that if there is a God like this, this God ought to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served, and with all of our heart. Now, um, the context here, because chapter 22 of the London Baptist is about worship, these words have to do with worshiping God. But it would also apply to, you know, just say obedience to his commands. It, so far we haven't even talked about his law, but what we get so far is that if God does command anything, then it's obvious that we ought to do what he commands. Mm-hmm. So we even get the we get the idea then from nature that God ought to be worshipped. That's the idea of all these words. They're just using different words to describe worship. That God ought to be worshipped, and they he ought to be obeyed by his creation. So we already we already we learn that from nature as well. Right. So I mean, if you will find people who will pose questions along the way and about the nature of God and we're not going to go down completely down this rabbit trail, but I think it helps us to understand this. So you get the question, you know, what happens to the poor the poor soul who never gets a Bible? What are they supposed to do? Well, Missionary history is replete with examples of tribes when Westerners or when missionaries make contact with them, they believe in a supreme being. They might not have his name, they might not know all the facts, which that's because we're talking about what natural theology can't do, you need the supernatural revelation, but nevertheless, they understand because ultimately nature reveals God. And so they begin to have this understanding. And so they do do all the things that the London Baptist Confession just talked about. And I think that's an example we can use from history to help us understand what this looks like in our day-to-day life. John Calvin even said, quoting Cicero, um, a pagan philosopher, he says that there's no nation so brutish that it doesn't have a belief in God. Now, for Calvin, he didn't live to see the 20th century, so he doesn't know about Russia and and, uh, and and China and North Korea and Cuba, um, although the state becomes the god in that case. But right. you know, I, I, he's still probably right. Cicero and Calvin both are probably right about this. But the reason why Calvin can say that is because there is there is no nation so brutish as not to believe in God. 
it's because God has made it clear that he exists, that he's good, he's wise, sovereign, that he ought to be worshipped and adored. That's why you find this instinct to worship God wherever you go or worship mm-hmm. something as God, right? as the ultimate thing, no matter where you go on planet Earth. Now, Christopher, not Christopher Hitchens, but Dawkins mm-hmm. thinks it's a, it's a g- g- genetic defect and it's a delusion, but, um, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> But even Dawkins thinks uh, Christianity is probably better than the alternatives if, if we get rid of Christianity. So, yeah. right. anyway, let's we, right. But anyways, real fast, just thinking back to the sermon we listened to yesterday. Even there, when you get to Acts fourteen, Paul and Barnabas show up and they're ready to worship them as gods. Yeah, because they cease. The, they so there's this natural instinct in us to worship something greater than ourselves. The, the thing that to which we don't understand, we seek to worship. And I would argue that that's natural theology working itself out, that we we know there's something greater than us. We know that we're not supreme. Right, but because we're sinners... Right, we... Because we're sinners and, as we'll see, because the way of worshiping God isn't revealed in Scripture, isn't revealed in um, in natural, theo- natural revelation, we don't do it right. Right. We mess it up. Right. And mess it up badly. Very badly. To the point where people... Worship the gods by child sacrifice and sexual immorality and things like that. Correct. Um, so we we corrupt this knowledge, but the knowledge there, there that knowledge is there, right? So that no one can ever legitimately say, even though Christopher Hitchens says he's going to try it, that I, you didn't give me enough evidence. There wasn't enough to know that you, there was a god. Um, there, that will never be a justifiable excuse on the day of judgment because God has revealed himself. And so this supposed poor, innocent pagan in the jungles, they will be judged based on what they know, what they know, and they will all fall short of the standard of righteousness, even, all, even what little they did know, because they knew there was a God, yet they didn't worship him. Right. Uh, so this is a good time to segue about the law. <laughs> uh, let me just read what the London Baptist says, and then we'll talk about it. So in the chapter 4, uh, paragraph 2, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male, and female with reasonable and immortal souls, rendering them fit unto that life for which God for which they were created, being made after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts. It goes on to say in paragraph 3, besides the law written in their hearts, they received a, another command. Okay, So there's two ways to talk about natural theology. Okay, We can talk about it, what's out there in nature, but God has also implanted the law of God in the hearts of everyone so that everyone knows what's right and wrong. We got this naturally in that the first man and first woman, this was given to them, okay? So that Adam and Eve, even though they didn't have the Ten Commandments, they they had an understanding of right and wrong from God in their conscience. And this wasn't completely destroyed in the fall. This is the London Baptist Confession associates it with the image of God. 
the image of God is not completely destroyed. It's marred and messed up and nearly beyond recognition for what God originally designed. But Romans 2 tells us that the law of God is the work of the law of God is written in our hearts. And essentially that that's our conscience. So I I've never had to teach my children how to lie. They know how to, <laughs> they know how to sin all on their own. I had to teach them not to lie. Right. But they knew it was wrong to lie even mm-hmm. before I said don't lie. Right. Because they wouldn't want someone to lie to them. And even somebody who doesn't believe in absolute morality, if you take their wallet, they're going to be angry with you because they know it's not right for you to steal their wallet. Correct. It's absolutely wrong to do it. Then they'll turn around and say there is no absolute uh, morality. We have this because of the law of God that was written in our hearts. It's part of human nature, okay? Um, Not nature out there, per se, but it's human nature. It's part of what it means to be a human being, is you have this conscience of what is right and what is wrong. And now, because we're sinners, our conscience can be seared so that we're insensitive to that, or it can be overly sensitive and and make us um, feel overly guilty as well. Both of those are a problem because we're sinners, and so... We can't all we we can't trust our consciences per se because we're sinners and we'll, it's it's corrupted, but there is a sense of right and wrong inborn in every single human being who's ever lived. It's part of what it means to be a human being, and if if somebody doesn't have that, we call them psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, even the law of God is written in our nature. Because of that, we know there's a God who is just. Yeah. We know there's a God who is perfectly righteous. Because where did this idea of good come from? It had to it had to come from somewhere. And again, I don't think it's because our ancestors that survived were people who believed in right and wrong and the ones that died were the ones that didn't believe in that and now that's why we have why we believe this. Right. So I think it's deeper than that. I would yeah, yeah, because I mean frankly, just if you think if you think it through on a if you actually on an evolutionary th- thinking, survival of the fittest, wouldn't it make sense that everybody who doesn't have morals would be the ones that wins because they would do nothing, they would do whatever they have to to survive. Yeah. So therefore that's why it's well, it's stupid just just be blunt. So it's important for us to realize that this law of God has been written on our hearts. Right. Because we're running out of time. We're <laughs> I didn't realize we would. it would take this long. The last two things um, we've already hinted at, so I'm not going to read the confession. I'll just point you to the London Baptist Confession, uh, chapter 22, verse 7. Um, the nature teaches us that a portion of time ought to be set aside to worship God. Um and then in the first chapter, uh, section 6, or paragraph 6, it talks about that some circumstances for our worship and church government can be learned from natural revelation. For example, if your church uses Robert's Rules of Order in order to um, have a business meeting, that we didn't get this from the Bible. We got it from nature. Uh, it's a way of 
giving everybody equal time to speak and all those kind of things. It's not somehow unbiblical or wrong because you're not getting this from the Bible to use Robert's rules of order. There's more we could say about those things, but quickly I think it's important to talk about what we don't learn right. uh, from uh, natural revelation. I already read this at the beginning in the London Baptist Confession, the very first chapter. Uh, this part I didn't read, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Paragraph 1, the very first sentence, which is a great sentence. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. So it's the only sufficient rule. Remember, natural revelation, natural theology is insufficient. It's not enough to give you all the information that you need in order to be saved. It's not sufficient. But Scripture is sufficient. So God gave us Scripture so that we would know everything we need to know in order to be saved and live to a holy life. Um, holy Scripture is the only certain, um, it's the only infallible rule. that It cannot fail to teach what needs to be taught. Okay, so we need we're we're not saying. I tried to say this at the very beginning, and we say it again. We need scripture. Scripture is necessary. It's not as if natural theology can replace our need for scripture. Scripture is 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 absolutely necessary. You're not going to be saved without scripture. You're not going to go into the Amazon and find a tribe that's never been in contact with a person before who already believes and follows Jesus and practices Christianity the way the Bible describes. You might find people who believe in, maybe even be monotheists. They believe in one God. But you're not going to find people who believe in the one God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That you will not find because nature is insufficient to lead you that way in addition to the fact that we're sinners and it would be corrupted. We need the scriptures. We're not trying to argue otherwise. We're arguing what the Belgic Confession says is that there's two books by which God reveals himself, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And both of them are important in understanding who God is. Scripture probably, we would say, is, is more vital because that leads us to salvation. So, second thing, in the London Baptist Confession, chapter 20, and this is one of the chapters that was added. Uh, the Westminster Confession doesn't have this chapter. This is only in the Baptist Confession. Here's what it says. This promise of Christ and salvation by him is revealed only by the word of God. Neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by him so much as in general or in an obscure way, much less that men destitute of the revelation of him by the promise of the gospel should be enabled thereby to attain saving faith or repentance. This this is very clearly reaffirming everything that I just said about the necessity of Scripture. You will not get to Christ or grace by him or saving faith and repentance by looking at the stars and thinking God must be so wise, powerful, and good to have created all those things. You will not get there. 
Scripture is absolutely vital. Nature does not teach these things. And then finally, in the Second London Baptist Confession, well, it's in chapter 22. I don't really need to read it. Chapter 22, the first paragraph. The acceptable way of worship is not uh, revealed in nature. So we know that we should worship God. We ought to worship God from nature. We know that a portion of time ought to be set aside to worship God, but we don't know how we ought to properly worship God. We don't know how, what day or what time should be set aside apart from the revelation of God in Scripture. So again, we see Scripture's necessary for saving faith and on how to properly worship God. I would go further to say we don't even know how to truly obey the law of God without Scripture. We may know have a sense of what right and wrong is, but we need Scripture to help us to understand that the law isn't just a surface matter, but it's deeper than that. Nature teaches us many good and profitable things about God and who he is, but it can never get us to salvation. It can never lead us to properly worship God. For that, we need the scriptures. We need God's revealed word in order to do that. Now, because of this, because God is revealed in nature, we can use it as a means to talk to people about how they can know there's a God, to give proofs that God truly does exist. That will be another day, <laughs> another right. topic for another day. The other thing is that natural theology, also because the law of nature, we learn it also implies the natural law. And uh, this is the way, because it's the natural law, This it ought to govern nations as well. Um, again, that's another topic for another day. The point is is that believers and unbelievers should both be able, through right reason, to come to these conclusions. Now, the problem is the reason they don't come to the right conclusions about nature is because of bad reasoning um, and because they're sinners and they may have good reasoning, but then say, no, we're not going to do that anyway because I want this. <laughs> so, right. so anyway, these things are very important for these reasons and, and probably others. So I know I've... Talked a lot, so anything that I need to clarify before we go? I don't think anything you need to clarify. I think a way for you to think about natural theology. Natural theology is like the movie trailer. It gives you the idea. to the movie. It gets you the picture, <laughs> but the reality is you have to watch the whole movie. That's scripture because you can you can watch the trailer and you can think you know what's going on, but you might not. You probably don't know what's going on. So you have to watch the whole movie. In the same way, natural theology is important because it, it causes you to wonder and to, you could, there's things you can learn and things you can draw from. But ultimately, you have to spend time in scriptures because that's where God reveals himself by his word. He, he explicitly states, this is who I am and this is what I desire and this is what you have to do. Whereas natural theology, he simply gives you clues by which you can draw upon. Right. God can use that revelation with by his grace to lead people to his special revelation. Right. And I think that's the point. Right. It's not, you know, we're not talking about people completely independent of God coming to these conclusions. No. no God is always at work, and if anyone 
comes to understand some things about God in nature, it's because of the work of God, and that work of God will continue to bring them to the scriptures and lead lead them by his grace to faith and repentance. So you can never be saved directly through natural revelation or natural theology. This is just this is just the beginning to get you to the to get you to the scriptures, to get you to the movie so you right. can understand the whole thing. Right. But you do yourself a disservice if you completely ignore natural theology. Right. And then as believers with the scriptures, we have natural theology and supernatural theology, and both of them ought to be used. Because we're believers and we have the Spirit, we understand these things in a way that an unbeliever wouldn't. So there, it's still useful even as Christians. It's not just for those people who are unbelievers. It's still useful for us today right. as well. And, of course, we don't have much time to talk about that. So right. Which, spent, so I didn't realize it was going to take this long, but that's okay. That gives us that gives us another episode. This is a good introduction to these thoughts and we'll maybe return to ways we can use and how uh, natural theology and natural law are helpful in the future. Right. So, in closing, we would simply say understand that God has revealed himself in nature which causes us then to determine that which he says in Scripture. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, comments, and hope for and dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But we want to thank you again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.